0: Welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive monthly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains. My name is George, N2APB, and with me here Dave, 87JT, Duane, KV4QB, and also Joe. Our topic for this evening's presentation is Test Equipment You Can Build. And in this uh, episode number 90, we are uh, talking about crystal measurement using the SNA test gadget. What is the SNA test gadget, you might say? This is a plug-in board to a platform that we have been developing over a number of episodes that is able to perform some test measurements by means of an Arduino type class of processor. In order to provide some information gathering and hopefully some control here on our test benches, and then also um, kind of grow with our needs as we um, are developing additional capabilities. The idea with the test equipment you can build series, of course, is to is for this Arduino-based platform to collect various kinds of information, connect to our radios, connect to our different instruments, maybe like a, a lab analyzer, an oscilloscope, um, even uh, I'm looking over at my bench. I see the KA7EXM power meter that I use, uh, precision power meter that I use regularly. Uh, so the uh, whole idea is for the program to uh, develop and evolve our different capabilities for test and measurement on the bench. And uh, this time, is, we're, we're sort of culminating each time as we evolve and have subsequent uh, episodes. We're uh, providing more and more capabilities as we're learning to do more with some of the more recent devices. And tonight, we have just a superb program collaborating with uh, Duane and Dave and Joe. We are to the point of having an integrated SNA, Scalar Network Analyzer, test gadget. Now, interestingly enough, there's been a number of incarnations of the Scalar Network Analyzer over time. We see, pictured here, Don, as we start the episode, um, a couple of devices that maybe you've bumped into maybe you've not had a chance to kind of consider before but uh, they are all of the same ilk the same type of configuration Um, that we're speaking of this evening. The first, shown there with kind of the black box, is a handheld uh, Scalar Network Analyzer from Midnight Design. That is called the Midnight uh, SNA. And you can see a plot of, um, in this case, it's a crystal characteristic uh, showing a bandwidth and rise time and drop off time and insertion loss and certain bandwidth and so on. And with a crystal as a device under test, that's the kind of, of information we'll be gathering Coincidentally, and I'll upfront this uh, with apologies to Duane because I frankly had not been following uh, your blog, Duane, up until maybe four weeks ago and had not realized that you had indeed developed an SNA junior as pictured here in previous, uh, over the previous months and even chronicled that perhaps in QQ magazine and at FDIM won a, uh, a contest and kudos to you. And I think it kind of shows that creative minds think in similar ways. So we're taking instruments and components that we have available to us these days and combining them in ways that heretofore are are, are kind of novel for our QRP community and inexpensively to produce a a very usable instrument as both of these uh, instances of an SNA show. But that's what we're going to be speaking about this evening and as well just to kind of preface things so we don't lose it down the way. What we're going to be doing is um, kind of combining this with what we did last time, choosing two platforms and evolving those to the point of to productize them into two basic platforms. And I want to review this now just to review slightly what we've been doing because it really sets the stage for today. The platforms that we've settled on for use in, on the, what we call the motherboard of the, uh, of the test gadget is the, the nano Arduino. And the ESP32 processor, both of which, of course, are, are able to be developed within Arduino integrated development environment using sketches and downloading them. What what our platforms are showing, though, is um, we're going to be using the Nano for initial implementations of a test gadget. For example, in previous episodes, we had uh, developed a signal generator. We had developed a power meter. an RF detector, we had generated a voltmeter, we had created different kinds of test gadgets that individually could plug into the nano platform and be run just fine in order to read voltages, read power, generate uh, signals by commanding an SI5351 or a DDS60, but when we started combining these modules together, the functions together, and Dave, AD7JT has done a fabulous job in creating the gadget rack which is software that controls all of the gadgets at the same time we found out that the individual arduino board that we started with wasn't powerful enough to handle all of them and it didn't have the memory needed to handle control of all of the different test gadgets that we well that we currently have or envision having Coincident with all of that, Duane had gone off and um, identified a uh, a really nice platform processor called the ESP32. It's a derivative of the, uh, what's the class of the processors, Duane, that that it comes from? Uh, The original
1: one was the ESP8266, which was mainly just a uh, Wi-Fi adapter originally before somebody figured out they could uh, program it directly under the IDE.
0: Perfect, that's exactly the 8266. Uh, It was a very popular and still is a very popular uh, following of experimenters, and it can come down into package sizes, I think we found, of uh, eight pins and an SOIC with limited memory and not with Wi-Fi capability, but for control, it's like a mini processor, just a very small processor, and it ramps up in capabilities with other versions. Well. As far as I know, the ESP32 class of those processors is one of the the most recent, and it has built-in Wi-Fi capabilities, dual-core processor, boatloads of memory, lots of I.O. And as Duane discovered and shared with us, it has written all over it applications with the test gadget, uh, series in mind. So what we've done is focused on those two platforms, the nano for the uh, the easy and first off, the first try experimenters uh, version on the bench for a given test gadget that happens to be plugged into it, and the ESP32 for those that um, Either are more complex in what's needed to be controlled or read, um, and certainly having multiple processors uh, sorry multiple test gadgets uh, connected to the processor or the main board. And again, the beauty of one of the great beauties of the ESP32 is its Wi-Fi capability. So many of us are starting to ponder seriously the Wi-Fi capabilities that we can build into our test gadget platform as it evolves. Even and to wrap up this little monologue, um, we have already started on a path of making PCBs available to enable chatters such as everybody here on chat with the designers to be able to replicate the platform to be able to use the platform and uh, easily bring it up so we'll see further down into the show, and you can take a peek at it, of course. There are some PCBs that are starting to come out, and we're going to be uh, spinning up some production numbers of them, and we'll price them accordingly, just above cost, so everybody can get in on the fun. Same, to with the uh, SNA test gadget that's going to plug into either the Nano or the ESP32 uh, platform. We'll uh, be able to have that as a PCB available with partial parts on it. So, for without any further ado, Joe, I'm gonna toss it over your way for a moment, and, but I'm gonna ask you a very simple question. Why the heck do you wanna measure a crystal?
1: <laughs>
2: Why indeed. Crystals are, um, we're all familiar with them, more or less. For frequency control, after there were VFOs and before there were uh, direct digital synthesizers, but they're very, very stable. Uh, means of having a high-q resonator that can be used as an oscillator degenerative frequency, or indeed for other functions, and one of the other functions that we're going to talk about a little bit tonight, is a, uh, a crystal filter. There's a, um, a configuration called a crystal, um, crystal ladder filter, which consists of um, some quartz crystals on a certain frequency, and some very carefully selected uh, capacitors that can be used to to make um, uh, filters for the IF, for uh, receivers. Um, Very good way to go. And relatively simple. Um, And to do this, we have to characterize the crystals. We have to determine its uh, resonant frequency. We have to look at the uh, bandwidth of it um, in order to um, uh, derive some uh, parameters we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, and we also have to, in order to build a proper filter, we have to sort the crystals and um, pick the ones that are closest in frequency so that we can control the um, the uh, bandwidth of the filter we want. After we designed it, we have, to, uh, we have to sort them so they're close enough in frequency that um, they don't just go all over the place. So anyway, um, what are we able to measure? Well, with the S and A we're talking about, we'll be able to measure the center frequency of the, uh, we'll be able to measure the resonant frequency of the crystal. There's a um, both a parallel and a series resonant frequency. What's of interest is the series resonant frequency and the bandwidth, the 3 dB bandwidth, where the uh, response from the peak drops off 3 dB in other directions. <clears throat> And it's a little out of order here, but when we're measuring the filter, we also want to look at passband ripple sorry, and uh, insertion loss. Anyway, given the um, center frequency and the bandwidth, there there are some uh, convenient algorithms that can be used to determine the um, what's called the emotional capacitance and the emotional inductance of the um, of the crystal, um, which is the um, the equivalent L and C that would be in a, uh, a normal LC resonator. Um, it's kind of a fictitious number, but it's handy to work with. And um, we can also, if we measure the series re- resistance, we can um, determine the Q. Taking these numbers that we're able to uh, uh, measure and uh, calculate, we can plug them into a, um, several online calculators Um, That are handy to do and I think we have a link to one later. There are also some other methods that have been described in um, experimental methods for RF design by Wes Hayward W7ZOI to measure the crystal to uh, calculate the um, uh, to design a filter Um, And there there's some other um, There are are other, other Somebody's got an open mic here. I keep trying to turn off the sound pack as I get feedback from the uh, the uh, female voice there. Anyway, there are also other uh, design programs um, of, of various usage that uh, can be used to the uh, to calculate the crystal, um, the, the, uh, the parameters of the uh, crystal filter. Um, now, how do we measure the crystals? Uh, hey, Joe. George? George? Yeah, go ahead, George.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to take a, I just wanted to take a break there and. Uh, um maybe toss it over to Dave or dwayne relative to these two main questions: what is able to be measured and and why the heck do we want to do it i I think we've covered it here, but I want to be sure, and in your experience uh Dave maybe take you first if you're i'm not sure if your audio quality is, if you 're back home at the shack or on the road um but um you know are these all of the uh given that the you know we've developed a uh um, a an XTL fixture, a crystal test XTF crystal test fixture, which is a small little board that plugs into the SNA, the Midnight SNA. Um, are there other f- factors, other, um, other things that the SNA is able to measure, the Midnight SNA is able to measure that you've uh, programmed into the into the software? Yeah, George, you hear me? Yeah, you sound pretty good
3: oh, for a change. Huh? Uh, yeah if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the whiteboard you see the uh, the readings in the, the graph that the SNA makes and there's a little yellow window in there which gives those motional uh, grammars that uh, Joe was talking about plus measures the Q, and then up above you see it, it, it identifies the uh, first the location of the first and second 3db joint and the bandwidth 3db Uh, Roll-off point there's a little line through there, uh, through the plot. The first plot there shows a single crystal. If if you're grading a bunch of them, you want to go through. uh, You know, if if you need like five crystals for a uh, a uh, a filter, and you're kind of fussy and you want it to work really good, you're probably going to start with like 25 crystals, and then you just run them through and check them, and that's sort of what the picture on the uh, on the right shows uh, with the SMA you can you can tell it to just accumulate the plots and each one goes in a different color running through like ten colors or something and you can see all the plots on there it also records the data on a uh, on a, uh, a SD card and the SD card uh, is it's got a, a FAT 16 uh, DOS format on it you can take it to your PC and read that into an Excel spreadsheet, and then you can start sorting by all these parameters, and then you can pick out, you know, well, these five are the closest closest match, and you pull them out, and then take the next five, next five, next five. Out of 25 crystals, when I've done it, you typically can wind up with the three or four usable sets. And these are cheap crystals, you know, they're like 50 cents a piece. But, anyway, that kind of information you're looking for, George?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um you know that's an item that I forgot to put up at the top of the of the whiteboard for things you can do as well. I guess this is, you know, the crystal grading um diagram or plots are used in the sorting process as you just reviewed. And uh to kind of set this uh, in context, um if y'all were with us in the um in the episodes in which we went through the SW30 plus design, uh, very carefully and um, um, in detail, uh, you'll remember that there was three crystals that were used in the that are used in the IF um, to um, you know as part of the superhet uh, filtering process. And there was a fourth crystal that was used as a uh, oh shucks, Joe, what was it used as? The, the it goes it went into a uh it was just to use as an oscillator as i recall down below in the schematic right
2: there' are actually two there's one for um, to set the transmit frequency which is offset a little bit from the uh, if and uh, there's one for the uh, bfo in receiving uh, but they're all picked from the, um, the set of five crystals that were selected for the um, for the sw30.
0: Indeed. And that, those five crystals that we sorted, that, that you sorted and produced a whole bunch of bags of five very carefully um, closely located crystals using this very technique that Dave outlined, um, were used in uh, as parts kit, in the parts kit for those wishing to build the chat with the designers version of the SW30. And as I, as I recall, there are 100 to 150 kits made. Of that back about a year or two ago, um, and that kind of brings us to a. Uh, just to make a mention before I forget, I had mentioned the parts, the parts kits or the partial parts kits that we're going to make available for this whole, especially focusing on this series uh, or on this episode here, um, is going to include um, a bag of five crystals much as were delivered for the one uh, during the build of the SW 30. Now those five crystals, as I just mentioned, were very carefully selected by Joe to be all rather coincident and, and very uh, closely uh, matched. You'll have a chance, builders will have a chance to use and, and maybe select among those five that are in the, in the partial kit in order to find maybe the three that are very closest together. And then ultimately um, find use for it in the shack um, or in other a uh, follow-on project that we are envisioning. Um, but the fact of having five crystals or n n number of crystals of uh, that are closely um, that the center frequencies are close on and the characteristics are very similar, there's a lot of benefit in having that. And that's by the way what the why we built the fixture, and we'll talk about that more along. As the program progresses the test um, the test gadget board to accommodate um three crystals just to exemplify the, the the principles we're talking about here that Joe outlined for a ladder arrangement of crystals and measuring it and its output impedance and its uh input impedance requirement how do you drive it what does the output look like what do you have to consider when uh gathering and sorting using the data obtained from the test gadget so our episode today is not just about measuring crystals it's about per usual interpreting the data understanding the data and and actually uh maybe even extending it a little bit more into your own directions as as desired so uh, i'm going to move up again to the to the top of the page and toss it over to duane for a second and and say, ask if um If there's anything that we missed relative to your experience in developing the SNA Junior, and I think you're up to the SNA Junior 2 now, and what you might have found as far as uh, whether it's measuring crystals or anything else, that would be of um, interest to note at this point before we dive into some of the specifics of our test gadget board.
1: Okay George uh yeah the picture of the uh, SNA junior on the top up there was built by uh Phil Darlington in uh, I can't remember W0 W uh I can't remember his call right now I'm looking at M0 okay yeah he I gave him one of those at the uh presentation he did uh 2 years ago at FDIM uh there's been a bunch of these things built in in, in Europe. Uh, this is the second version that I came up with. My first version used a pair of uh, uh, diode detectors and an op amp to get the gain up high enough. You had to go and play and adjust the uh, gains for the input and the output. The output and the return signal. But it worked real nice. It allowed you to go and uh, uh, get decent measurements. So I was limited to probably about a 45, 50 dB range. Second one, I replaced that with a uh, 80, 808307 uh, log detector. You know, wired up as a power meter We're using basically the W7ZOI uh, uh, power meter circuit, and uh, I added a bunch of features to it. Uh, I lined up the couple of SMA connectors on the output and the input so I can put external things on it. The picture on the top shows a uh, return loss bridge on it and it's uh, measuring the SWR directly on an antenna. I've got a couple other fixtures that I've uh, used uh, directly for uh, playing with filters. Um, I did some crystal checking once upon a time but it was very simple. I had a bag of hundred of crystals for 350 I got from China and it was just set to sweep up so it was 20, 25 hertz per division on the uh, one like there and I just found the frequencies within each group and if uh, after I got that I just looked ran them through again and found the ones that, uh, that looked closest to each other, didn't actually bother doing any measurement um, the 808307 I can power directly in there. It has a direct wattmeter meter function and uh, setup. So if I use a, uh, a 40 dB tap, it basically it's a power meter up to a couple of hundred watts. All in all, they're, they are just wonderful. Even the most basic SNA is just a wonderful thing to have in your shop. And it's really nice if it's just something handheld that you can take around and use wherever you want
0: to. Yep, fully agree on all that. Um, And one might ask, you know, like, gee, if I'm going to make one SNA or if I have time or money or parts to build just one SNA, which one should I do? And I think the answer is is pretty simple. Whatever is going to work for you. And in some cases, uh, one SNA might work better in portable applications out in the in the backyard as you're doing some antenna work, or out in the field as you're setting up field day. Another one might be working better for you open and on the bench, without an enclosure or uh, any other types of um, um, uh, holding, you know, any kind of fixtures to hold it in place. Because experimenting is a lot about having a messy bench, I think and uh uh that's that's what makes it is so you can use whatever you want now whether it turns out that you can uh use one you know use the uh, the midnight s n a or you can use the the s n a junior you can use the test gadgets um it all depends on what you want to be doing a lot of times too when you make uh <clears throat> open uh open platform type of uh Test gear, any kind of uh, any kind of project, it's much more easily adapted to other purposes down line. You don't have to if you haven't spent a lot of your time packaging it up so neatly and nicely. You'll, it's much more able to be used in different applications, and you can take advantage of it. Anyways, um, this is all good stuff, and that's that's again what we're covering here today, which makes it pretty exciting. Um, It's not necessarily new all brand-new cutting-edge. I mean as I said SNAs have been around for a little bit We've talked about them before even here on chat with the designers however um, It's uh, it's all in kind of the how we get there from here to the the point from A to B In this case here. We have a pretty nifty highway that we've developed with the test gadgets So Joe, let's get back into um, the, uh, the crystal test uh, fixture, uh, I'm sorry, the crystal filter test block diagram <clears throat> in the how we will measure crystals. As you can see, what I did is I cleaned up a lot of our um, of our notes that we did in preparation for the show to be much a little bit more flowing in nature. And what I thought we could do is just sort of iteratively kind of take one bullet after the other and bounce back and forth between us And by all means, if anybody has any questions along the way, please uh, raise your hand uh, um, figuratively by using your PTT button, because we're on limited time. We do have a limited time frame. <clears throat> and uh, there's so much material to cover and we're just kind of skimming around the surface. We can drill down as needed and as people have an interest. So Joe to kitch- kick it off, why don't I just start it uh, with that first bullet I'm going to be talking about uh, the whole idea with a crystal filter um, testing arrangement <clears throat> is to generate that range of frequencies um, and one would sweep, uh, have a signal generator that sweeps along, um, as I said, uh, maybe a little bit before and a little bit after a crystal's given frequency, if you know what it is, um, in order to uh, see where the crystal's response is. If you look in that diagram, we've got uh, we're squirting a square wave. In this case here, we're using a uh, an SI 5351 square wave um, into um, a ladder filter built by crystals. And uh, yeah, the signal coming out of that is fundamentally a, uh, it's not a sine wave, but it's a, it's, it's, it starts approaching a sine wave just because of the rise time and fall time char- characteristics <clears throat> through the filters or through the crystals. But it only responds in a certain range of frequencies that happens to be the bandwidth, how wide um, a filter, uh, how wide the crystal's uh, bandpass is, if you will. And uh, as I tried to represent it in that diagram, Joe, you and I were speaking about this a lot, if you, if you consider z- zero frequency way off on the left and you consider uh, gigahertz frequency way off on the right, you would, have, you would have zero signal being output from the crystal filter up to the point of where the crystal starts passing signals. And then after it gets through that point of passing signals, its bandwidth, in other words, it drops off again. So that one waveform that I've tried to represent there is what you might see on an oscilloscope as uh, coming through the crystal filter. Yes? Joe?
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's what you would see. Uh... Coming through the crystal filter. I'm sorry, what was I supposed to pick up on? I was daydreaming.
0: <laughs> we're just going to talk about this diagram. And I started on the left side and the signal going through the crystal filter and the bandwidth, the output of the crystal filter essentially being um, um, a, um, a set of uh, this frequency, it's the crystal frequencies. Uh, shoot. It's the signal frequencies. Um, being represented by, in this case, the band, a certain band of uh, the frequencies. Let's use our our case of 7.68 megahertz. Since that's the crystal used in the SW30, that's the crystal that we'll be supplying on the parts kit. Um, Centered in uh, the 7.68 megahertz um, would be the center frequency uh, for that band of signals and a little bit before 7.68 and a little bit after 7.68 perhaps 200 hertz below and 200 hertz above 7.68 is that band of frequencies that would be coming through the filter.
2: Indeed, yeah. Um, and actually, as it turns out, uh, in general, for, for uh, uh, <clears throat> a simple network analyzer, uh, in a lot of cases, you can use a square wave. Um, if you're doing a high pass or a low pass filter, Um, the harmonics in the square wave might goof you up a little bit. But for a bandpass filter or for some sort of resonator that's narrow band, um, the uh, narrow band characteristics just roll off the high high frequencies, the harmonics of the uh, present in the square wave, uh, so that it's not an issue. Um, In the case here, what you see out um, in the uh, original block diagram there, is um, George has indicated a series of sine waves. Uh, in truth, as you sweep in frequency, as he was uh, discussing, what you'll see will be, as he said, um, as you approach the, um, the center of the uh, the tune, tune frequency of the filter, the, um, the output will be um, increasing from zero to a maximum level. Then it'll kind of level out across the uh, the band pass, in the case of the uh, filters that uh, Dave, des- Dave uh, Benson designed into the SW30, that's about 400 hertz wide. And then as you go higher in frequency, it'll roll off um, so that you go back down to zero. And what this does in the receiver is that you have a narrow band of frequencies, 400 hertz wide in the receiver, that will be passed, and all of the off-frequency signals will be uh, will be uh, not passed through, so that in the receiver you won't hear them. Uh, and they pass into an RF detector, which then uh, converts the uh, the sine waves into uh, a calibrated DC level, which corresponds to the amplitude of the uh, sine wave. And all of this is under control of the Arduino, so that it controls the tuning of the input signal and it looks at the output signal and it knows for each uh, frequency what the output level is. So that um, depending on whether you have it in a graph, whether you have it in a spreadsheet, or just a table, or if you have a fancy um, thing like the uh, uh, SNA Junior, a graphical display, it will actually show you the shape of the um, filter response uh, in neat form. In a capsule, that's it. There, there are more details that we can go into uh, farther down in the next block diagram.
0: Yeah, let's get down to there because that's where the rubber really meets the road. We have uh, uh, the SI-5351 SIGGEN, which, of course, is pretty much just this, the chip controlled by an I-squared C line from the Arduino. Uh, of signals from the Arduino, it has a certain um, output um, impedance that needs to be matched to the crystal filter at a given frequency. So what we've done is we've taken the the filter arrangement that was identified in Dave Benson's design, um, including that uh, two, uh, roughly the, the two microhenry um, inductor and the 166 puff cap uh, that serves as the tuned uh, tuned input to the crystal and uh, that that creates that 50 ohms input that we need to match from the output of the siggen to that 50 ohm input and that's the purpose for the two resistors, 120 ohms and 56 ohms, essentially a pad um, or in this case a, a somewhat of a voltage divider that provides the right input impedance. Um, we know that the crystal filter itself is about 400 hertz bandwidth, um, and that's perhaps a good thing to be checking out. And I think, in some empirical way, we are able to determine more precisely what that given set of crystals that you have in your SW30 or in the little bag of parts that uh, that you're going to be getting. The output needed to be the output of the crystal f- uh, filter needs to be matched also to the uh, the RF detector, Joe.
2: Can't find a control uh, button. Yes, the, um, the inherent impedance, the design impedance of the crystal filter is about 250 ohms. So as George mentioned, um, uh, on the input side, we have that little LC network to step the 50 ohms up to 250 ohms to feed the filter. And then on the output side, um, the RF detector has an input impedance of 50 ohms. So we just stick a 200 ohm resistor in series so that the uh, filter is terminated in its desired 250 ohm impedance so that it's happy. If it's not terminated in approximately its design impedance, the um, the bench band pass will suffer. You'll pick up uh, excess loss. The uh, filter shape will suffer and there could be some ripple. So it's important to at least approximately Terminate the filter in what it wants to be, and George didn't mention, but it's it's another important thing uh, on the input side. Another function of that uh, resistive L network is to knock down the um, signal level from the uh, siggen, um, so that uh, we don't overdrive the crystal filter, and so that uh, in the end we don't drive overdrive the 808307. So it performs the dual function of uh, Stepping down impedance and stepping down the signal level so that we don't overdrive things. The crystals in general don't like to see more than about um, 200 uh, millivolts or so of RF. Otherwise, they get nonlinear. And um, similarly, the AD8307, the maximum input level is about 223.6 millivolts RMS. Um, and it gets nonlinear if uh, if it doesn't see the um, the desired input level, so that keeps everything linear. Back to you, George.
0: Yeah, fine business. The um, um, I, I might make mention here too. I mean, for those uh, aficionados of the 8307, because it's a very popular log amp log detector. Um, the actual input impedance of that chip is not. 50, I don't believe it's 50 ohms, but it's the matching network that most people use, most designers use in interfacing it um, for measurement purposes. And if you take a look farther down on the whiteboard, you'll see the actual circuit that we use. And it's Dave 87JT's uh, circuit that we used in the um, the midnight SNA instrument. Um, and it can be seen as having a a 50 ohm input, so that's that's why we mentioned it in this matter here. I think it's oh, I have my notes elsewhere. I have notes all over my table here, but it's not quite 50 ohms input uh, right on the chip itself. Um, I also wanted yeah, I to mention, can
2: I can add to that, George. Yeah. The go ahead. the chip itself I think is in the order of uh, a kilo ohm, 1k, but practically speaking, most RF measurements are done at 50 ohms. Um, just as a matter of standardization. And uh, it is very convenient to uh, to uh, keep everything as close to 50 ohms as you can. Um, and the input network there that uh, Dave adapted, I believe, is from, um, uh, from a design by um, Wes Hayward, W7ZOI, who um, used a 51-ohm resistor to set the input impedance, And then he added the extra components of a 470 ohm resistor, um, a parallel capacitor, and a series inductor so that uh, it compensates for the somewhat frequency uh, dependence of the 8307. So that uh, this thing will be fairly flat from um, hundreds of kilohertz up through several hundred megahertz. So uh, a lot of sophistication in there, but idea is you want to be, Want to be in a 50 ohm system
0: perfect sidebar joe great thank you and of course you can see what joe's referring to in the 8307 um uh, schematic that we showed from the uh, midnight sna um and Dwayne, i don't um i don't i didn't look at the specific any any schematic specifics from your sna junior but i would imagine that that you similarly take along or take into consideration the, the, char- the characteristic impedances, uh, of course, when you're looking to interface to DUTs, devices under test. Um, and, Duane, while I have your ear, or Joe, Andrew Joe, um, if you could pipe in about, um, oh, shoot, I was going to be mentioning, oh, let me just kind of toss it on the table, because it, it is of interest to me. I, I should have written a little schematic, the equivalent circuit of a, uh, of a um, crystal and um, i didn't do it but unfortunately there's th- what we encounter as users of crystals is a um, a crystal that is either cut for parallel <clears throat> parallel use uh, it's got a parallel capacitance um, or is it's cut for a series capacitance um, uh, implementation um, what is the difference and how is it How does it matter, at least in the test measurement area that we have the configuration we show here? Uh, Dwayne, do you have a feel for that?
1: Uh, Not much. That's a Joe question. All right, and here's Joe.
2: Yeah, if you look at the equivalent circuit of a crystal, imagine a series resonant circuit uh, of L and C. Um, The uh, L there is what's called the... um, Motional inductance, um, this series uh, capacitance um, of the LC circuit um, makes that emotional uh, inductance resonant at the series resonant frequency. There's also a, a resistor in series, which is um, the emotional resistance, which determines the operating Q. And then across all three, bridging all three of those components in parallel, is um what's called c0 uh, which is the uh, shunt capacitance this sets the uh, parallel resonant frequency and actually the um, um, all crystal resonators have both a series and parallel resonance um, basically what is done is they are selected for for a given application whether they're going to be used in their series or parallel resonant mode and Characterized and sold that way, so that um, so that they uh, they center around either the series or the uh, parallel resonant uh, frequency uh, in a given application. And um, I'm I'm trying to remember. I think the um, the parallel resonance is a little higher in frequency. And um, at 7.68 megahertz, it would be roughly a kilohertz or a kilohertz and a half above the series resonant frequency. So for the purposes of, of the um, matching for the uh, crystal filter, what you do is you characterize things at the series resonant frequency. And um, that's used to plug into the formulas to um, determine the um, or to set the characteristics of the, the filter you want. Back to you, George.
0: Great info, guys. Thank you. And I think uh, Dave, you had encountered some of these uh, um, when it came to plotting the crystal um, uh, the crystal responses. One can actually see those two the differences in resonance point parallel versus serial that Joe was talking about. Dave, did you encounter some of that in, during the plotting? Uh,
3: the the parallel. In the way we're testing the crystals, we're actually testing them in a serial mode, so we get a peak at the serial resonant frequency and a dip at the parallel resonant frequency, and the dip, it turns out, is so low that it's hard to catch. <laughs> With this setup, we'd probably do a different setup if we wanted to measure the parallel, uh, the, the parallel frequency.
0: All right. Um, I think we'll do a few... The individual chatters um, would uh, will be building up this. Uh, I think you'll be able to see what what all three of us are referring to, and uh, um, or all four of us are one, two, three, four of us are referring to. And um, let's move along real quickly. Um, I just want to make mention of the user interface at the bottom of this detailed diagram. Um, It it may be a little confusing if you're not really understanding what's uh, what's cooking. But again. Keep in mind that we have two platforms. The Nano, which is the the simpler initial test, singular gadget test platform, has a 2x16 LCD that presents its output in text only, or maybe through later on through some gyrations of uh, uh, graphics on a text display, or a little, Dave had developed a little bit of a uh, a, a smaller OLED display that could be used for teeny weeny little graphics uh, display. And the Nano has uh, a rotary encoder for selection of its, uh, currently for its selection of menus and such. Um, the ESP32 platform, or actually what I've been coming because I try to say it too fast in time, is the SP32 um, uh, platform uses a graphic display that Duane um, um, initially used, and we're going to carry it forward. Um, it's a graphic display controlled by i squared c in the same manner. And it uses, um, uh, a joystick, um, that little joystick shown on the right, so to provide left, right, up, and down, and a push button type of um, selection mechanism that really is quite convenient. And Duane, I thank you for pointing that out. It's pretty inexpensive too, and we can be uh, we can be using that in uh, our platforms going forward. So going down to the test gadget next uh, next down on the whiteboard. I think uh, <clears throat> what I can show <coughs> is um, essentially just a, a, an almost transition to the physical uh, representation of the, of the test gadget. Um, this is on the order of a one by one inch by two inch board that connects to the test gadget motherboard by means of a I don't know what is it a nineteen uh, a sixteen or twenty pin. Pin header. Um, <laughs> what number? Twelve. Okay. And Dwayne has developed a, um, a standardized uh, signal uh, signal usage on each of those twelve pins. Um, and in this case here, we're using the S, uh, the I squared C, uh, ground, five volts, and then the uh, the analog output coming from uh, the RF detector. So uh, those those respective blocks are shown in there along with a voltage regulator. And the board is uh, going to have um, kind of a, I think it's a novel board, an, an approach that we're adding a prototyping area, a grid array of, uh, of um, uh, one ten, tenth inch by tenth inch, <coughs> tenth inch by tenth inch um, uh, pads such that you can put various, components in there and wire it up and and uh, not have to necessarily go to the uh, go out through the BNCs on the right-hand side um, for RF uh, input or and RF output in that case uh, uh, but if you did want to indeed just use the board the RF detector and the signal generator you, you would omit the little curved jumpers that couple the signals the output and the input signals into the crystal filter, you'd omit that particular jumper such that the, uh, the output goes out unimpeded and the input comes in unimpeded. But the novelty about this, of course, is that A, in this case, uh, we have um, uh, a prototype in area, you could have a number of boards that might be dedicated for a specific test and measurement um, with, the, with the SNA in function, in, in mind. Or B, you could. um, We have developed the. um, We are developing the traces to accommodate the crystal filter and the interface networks as we've been discussing. So, in other words, you can populate the crystal filter pads and traces uh, with the parts from your junk box, from your parts kit, or whatever. And um, again. Uh, be testing and swapping crystals at to your heart's content, just using this particular board without even going uh, cabling to the outside world. But that that's part of the uh, uh, what, what we think is the novelty of this particular approach, and again lends itself to an open type of uh, platform, um, perhaps on the uh, using the Nano or the particular uh, the ESP32 uh, platform. All right um Dave I'm going to toss it over to you here for a second and I slid down to uh, to show to SNA test gadget version 0.5 by you and uh, I summarized and I almost spelled correctly the words I tried to use uh this is hat what we have so far this is what we have so far in the design and layout um I tried to summarize our discussions we've had recently about how things can change the the orientation can change easily. We're in the final throws or maybe the mid throws of uh, developing this board, but that's pretty much what it's going to look like, Dave, right?
3: Yeah, this is kind of a almost a mock-up just to, but uh, we want to see how much room we had to play with. I just threw a one-inch by one-inch um, on 10th-inch center grid up there, but as you can see, there's a lot more room, so that can expand depending on how much else we put in real circuitry. Uh, I could also probably crowd these uh, uh, the components that are there further away from it and even expand it more. Uh, another thing I want to point out: um, the uh, two coax connectors on there um, have what one just takes the uh, the output from the uh, the DF, uh, and uh, the RF essentially. The other one is for the input from a device on. Uh, the device under test, and that, that goes into the power detector. Uh, there'd be jumpers in there so that the uh, input-output and output, you know, RF could be jumpered either into whatever you built up in the, uh, in the, the playground, if you would, in the middle, or routed through the connectors. One way uh, that I was just thinking would, would make sense here is if you had a, uh, had a, a, a test adapter, like we're talking about doing with the uh, just for a crystal you would put that on the coax connectors cut the jumper such so that the power goes that way and there you grade all your crystals and then you could have a, a general layout for your crystal filter in the playground area so once you've got your, your filter group, then you would take uh, and route the RF into and out of the uh, the playground if you would and uh, and and run the final tests or run the tests on your uh, your crystal filter. Um, that's about it, I think, George.
0: Yeah. Does anybody have any questions up to this point? I haven't paused yet, but uh, this might be a a spot to do so. Yeah, Pat, go ahead. Pat, uh, we're not hearing your audio. At least I'm not.
2: Too many buttons. Yeah, too many buttons. Um, The headset was was muted. The question I had was on the playground. Um, That looks like it's maybe a one or two use type thing. Or is there? Do you put some pins in, or how do you use it more than a couple times?
0: Well, the idea isn't to use it necessarily more than one or two times. Um, or let's let's be more specific uh for one or two similar kinds of, of purposes the idea is that uh, the components we're talking about here are relatively inexpensive the pcb is small and and inexpensive the voltage regulator the the 5351 itself is just kind of inexpensive uh, bottom line is that you would build um, you would build up one for a, a certain use case um, Circuit-wise, you would build up another for a different kind of use case. Um, I think it was Dwayne had pointed out perhaps that uh, you could you could put some pins, uh, pin headers, and maybe on the left side of that that uh, playground, as well as on the right side of the playground grid, and then subsequently put another daughter board on top of that and plug different playgrounds on top into those pin headers, such so you could just replace the, the playground areas onto the same board. So it's, it's a lot of flexibility um, that I think would accommodate a, you know needs in a variety of cases.
2: Nope, now I understand, thanks.
0: Was there somebody yeah, else?
3: Yeah, me, <laughs> Dave. Um, What I plan on doing is is uh, once you get a filter design, you'll find out that uh, you, you'll probably stick with that as a matter of matching crystals and input and output the interface impedance matching and whatnot, maybe the the number of stages and whatnot, but I'm going to to look at putting a bunch of, uh, like you said, female headers in there where I can plug the crystals and the capacitors and whatnot in separately. And then I've got that board for, you know, a whole bunch of different kind of crystal designs.
0: Yep. Yep. That was, uh, Oh, and also you might notice, Dave, um, we put, uh, we put a um, an elliptical filter down in the lower left-hand corner, just to the right of R2, um, of U2, right at the JP1 connector. Um, and this was intended to, if you have a need for a sine wave or something approximating a sine wave, that elliptical filter, is seven pole or five pole, one, two, three, four, 5 pole uh, elliptical filter, can um, knock down the odd harmonics quite nicely. In many applications and you would have a more pure sine wave coming out from your uh, the SIGGEN portion of the test gadget. So um, let, let's move on to Dwayne's uh, 0.5 uh, version of his particular uh, test gadget and Dwayne maybe could walk us through it.
1: Okay, uh, I basically moved the uh, test area off of the board uh, and just have a standalone board for the RF uh, output, two channels out of the uh, SI5351 and then the uh, input to the 808307. I've, for the last couple of years, pretty much standardized on SMA connectors, edge level, they're so cheap, uh, they're under mostly, you know, if you look around, you can get the Chinese ones for 50, 75 cents a piece. Uh, They're nice and small. They make good connections up to whatever frequency you want. And this is pretty much what I did on the uh, SNA Junior. I've got an input and an output, and the external, I have uh, little boards or assemblies made up with the uh, male connectors on that I can just screw them on. Uh, You know, I do have a return loss bridge. I've got a couple of boards for filters. Uh, different types of uh, filters that I played with, and uh, some other experimental things, and it it to me it keeps uh, you know keeps the size down uh, pretty small on the uh, uh, board. I use the uh, for the SI 5351 instead of trying to solder that little uh, SSOP10 in there and uh, the other stuff. For about eight bucks, eight or nine bucks, you can get a a Chinese version of the Adafruit board and comes with uh, three SMA connectors. So I pretty much kept it down to a size that's that's going to be much as small as I can, uh, and then you can go and use it for whatever you want.
0: Nice, nice, and that was a little bit like uh, Dave's principle that he was talking about too. What we're following by. Uh, What we're doing by adding uh, small, really inexpensive test fixtures, what we call them, test fixtures, to the output of the midnight SNA in the connectoring manner that you've done there. Um, Pat, did you have a question here?
2: I must have just hit the board by mistake, sorry.
0: (laughs) Darn buttons. Okay, let's slide down a little bit. Uh, Dwayne, if I can... uh... I can have you again take the mic and walk us through your two different platforms the two different PCBs that you've uh, that you have developed and uh, either I or you and I or you or somebody else whatever combination we're gonna make these uh, make some production versions some production quantities of these uh, uh, these two different platforms but can you describe your nano platform and your uh, your ESP32 platform
1: okay the only uh, one shown here is the uh is the nano platform since it's kind of a uh, uh reduced uh, capabilities I've only got uh, two uh sockets on it bringing all the pins out uh if you see on here i've got on uh, one side i've got the on the right side i've got the uh numbering for the pin brought out the, that would be if it was the Uh, ESP32 and on the uh, left hand side there's the uh, as close as I could get the equivalent uh, signals on the uh, nano that way you can go and plug in uh, you know one of your test gadgets to either a ESP32 board uh, motherboard or the uh, nano type gadget you may have to, I did bring out a separate 3.3 volt on the uh, on the Nano with a separate power supply. So if you do have something that's designed for the uh, uh, ESP32 that wants, wants more uh, power on the 3.3 volt you could go and uh, jumper it and you could supply it. You could go and supply it with this because the uh, normally the Nano 3.3 volt output is, is uh, not really uh... substantial enough to uh, power too much of anything. Uh, the other board that's made up is the uh... Oh, one thing I'm in here, and in order to go and make it easier to use the stuff like that, I did lay one of the set of headers down flat so you can plug something in from the side and you have room for the uh, rotary encoder or you can plug it in vertically on the other side and you don't have to worry about uh, orientation of the board layout so it'll fit in either one the uh, ESP32 is similar only it has five vertical uh, five vertical sockets on the thing like that so you can put multitudes of, of test gadgets on at the same time and there's enough memory to support it there's a picture of an earlier version of it on uh, my blog. So if you want to go and take a look at it there. And uh, let's see, I think that's just about it.
0: Good overview. And I'm not sure if you or maybe somebody, uh, may, maybe some others haven't refreshed your browser, but one of the last things I added to the web webpage um, was right beneath your nano test gadget is a is a photograph of your ESP32 test box PCB it happens to be rev 1.0 but and it's it's there on my bench but nonetheless it's uh, it's it's the points that you had uh, had mentioned so just curious did you did, if you update uh, up if you refresh your browser would you see that diagram the the second picture I mean yeah I saw it
1: that's the uh, one that you built up
0: yeah, okay, good. just want to make sure that you and others saw that the uh, the page might have been updated since you last had your browser open. Um, I added a section here where we're kind of closing in on it, and I'm going to toss it to you, Dave, in just a moment, for, uh, just to not go through your tutorial. We don't have the time, but to mention what is in the tutorial and how we are going to be updating it, uh, you and I, uh, to be of great use um, and of interesting uh read but before we get to that i wanted to mention the uh the pcb and um the um some of the partial kits what we're going to be doing is making these two boards available that you see pictured here and um, along with the boards we'll provide a bunch of sip uh, the sip connectors that you, you see being used up above and uh, the uh, voltage regulator, the capacitors, um, maybe some standoffs, uh, the joystick, the encoder. Um, it'll be up to the user um, to supply to obtain the, uh, the specific processor the nano or the ESP32 and we'll have the the best links and the sources for that uh, showing here soon. And uh, as well as the displays, um, the processor, the the ESP32 processor is on the order of oh shoot, Dwayne, what was the price on that? About eight bucks or ten bucks?
1: Now uh, with shipping, it's about ten.
0: Okay, and same too with the display uh, for the ESP32, the um, the two by sixteen serial display for the Nano board and uh, the Nano processors themselves. Those are equally inexpensive but nonetheless it's a little bit too much of an effort to provide that um, uh, at least right now. So we wanted to mention that that's that's what we'll be providing. To, and then somebody else had mentioned we had an interesting discussion I think it was, uh, I forgot who it was, but um, we were talking about enclosures. Would we be getting the enclosure along with the partial kit? And the simple answer is no. Um, the uh, the nifty uh, enclosure that Duane shows pictured here is the uh, is a result of a some 3D printing experimentation and and that's not something that can be pro- um, made easily made uh, in production quantities and is a long process. Um, but I gave two instances of what my intentions are. I'm partway on it right now. Is that my nano test gadget is. Is partially now mounted on a piece of uh, uh, copper clad blank copper clad PCB material we all use that stuff and it's about a uh, roughly just say it's about a foot square and then I have um, some standoffs that, that take the test gadgets or will take the test gadgets and easily kind of put them you know, it's so solidly in place as it's plugged into the nanotest uh, motherboard. All out in the open, the display is mounted, the, the encoder is mounted firmly on that PCB uh, copper clad. And I have a bunch of that, too, so maybe we'll toss some of that into the partial kits. Um, but it's, it's designed, it, um, the intention for that kind of an enclosure, if you will, is more of a holding fixture to facilitate the easy experimentation, easy access for probing, uh, debugging um your your special circuits that you're making up as a test gadget in it and so on for the e s p thirty two version um uh my e s p thirty two test platform is and i'm looking at the enclosure right now it's about the size of a k three uh so it's a little bit bigger of a box and it's enclosed and it's metal cabinetry it's got nice it's got room on the back for some uh, in fact some of you might remember it Um, it is the uh, there was a blank uh, enclosure made uh, provided by Ellicraft for the K2 so uh, it's a little bit smaller than the K3 enclosure but nonetheless it's what I'm considering using Uh, I I think they call it the EC2 enclosure blank enclosure that you could make an accessory for the K2 well I still had that from way back when and I intend on using that. And it'll be nice because the uh, ESP32 will be in, in inside, shielded, uh, power supply, front panel for the display and the controls, rear panel for the different kinds of connectors that might be used, taking the signals in and out for uh, other test purposes. And uh, uh, the test gadgets will be able to be stacked and put in parallel physically and electrically in parallel to the given connectors thus providing a nice compact test system recall that the one of the goals that um a number of us were iterating through at the beginning of this project was a uh, was a test box that one would have on a test bench some of you have seen my test bench in my in my uh, QRZ listing it's it's changed a lot since coming down here the, uh, to Tennessee but nonetheless, I still have that test bench. And I envision having various uh, equipment feed into it and signals being fed out of it and connecting to uh, uh, maybe an, a, a number of Wi-Fi um, um, remote test gadgets that uh, can feed data in from different places within the room itself, not being tethered by wire. In such a, uh, an enclosure that's in a K3-like enclosure, uh, would make a lot more sense for the longer term general purpose kind of test equipment uh, that we had in mind but that's the goal and uh, if that wasn't confusing enough i guess i'll ask are there any questions about uh about the pcbs and the partial kits and the enclosures Good, I guess that was sufficiently confusing. Dave, uh, let's wrap things up um, a bit with the, uh, just mention of what your tutorial covers, what its intended use is. And I haven't twisted your arm yet, uh, but I'm looking um, to that we can produce something very specifically for use, um, uh, a tutorial, if you will, or an application note that would be useful here with the Test Gadget series.
3: Okay, George. yeah, this particular uh, tutorial was made back during the evolutionary period of the MSNA. But it's a fairly detailed description of how you would use, uh, well, then there were, there were a couple versions of it at that time, one called the NAT and then the, then the NAT. But in any event, the, the, the paper describes them and, and I think you can get forward uh, what has to be done and what our argument will do. The tutorial even shows you how to make the uh, the test fixture uh, that particular test fixture uses a combination of, of resistor uh, uh, pads and uh, a couple of uh, toroids. Uh, turns out the uh, that, that was gross overkill. I think uh, I forget that. that came from some other design. I think it, it, uh, it even states in there uh, K8IQY Jim uh, Cortage, but. Uh, the one we've got is used just resistor pads. Doesn't have the toroids in there, so it makes it much simpler. Uh, part of it, part of the reason that the toroids were in there before is probably they're a lot lower loss, a lot lower loss than the pads for doing the impedance matching. And uh, back when uh K I Q I was doing this, uh, you probably didn't have this uh, uh, this power detector. If you have what we what we have, which is will go down to like. Kind of minus 87 dB dBm, uh, so got a lot more sensitive uh, readings than they had. Um, it goes on then and, and tells you in detail how to uh, how to set up. In fact, it even recommends how to how to keep track of your crystals while you while you're do, doing the testing. That that can be a big deal, and uh, I prefer not to write on my crystals. Uh, it, it shows you how to use egg cartons to do it and, and keep keep track of them. Uh, goes into how to hook it up and whatnot, how to set it up, which in that part is, is defining the, the frequency span, or how to set up the frequency scan. And the thing I forgot to mention before, to, to, to really check these things, you've got to get down to, I feel, to a, a one hertz step on your scan. And uh, finding, finding that, that center point to start with can be a little, little troublesome, take a while. But with the SNA, you can gradually narrow that down until you find it. Like Especially if you got a crystal with unknown frequency or something, you're trying to find out what the heck it's doing. So uh, you could, if you look again at the crystal matching thing on the whiteboard down at the bottom, you'll see we're looking at a, a bandpass of 33 hertz for a given crystal. And I've seen them sharper than that. And, uh, well, anyway, th- this... Uh, The tutorial goes through and explains how to do some of that stuff and how you set it up with the MSNA. And then it goes into detail on how you uh, do the run itself. And remember, if we're going to go through 25, 50 crystals or something like that, one thing you could do is you could run each one individually and then write down all the parameters and then put it in your own spreadsheet. But the MSNA will collect that information or the mode you can set it up to do it'll collect that information on the uh, SD card and it, it's in a uh, a CSV file, comma separated uh, file. It's one that can be read directly into Excel. Go into Excel, you can sort it by whatever the parameters. The, all the parameters that are in that yellow box you know, plus plus the ones on the top are are, are in this thing so in such a form that you can just sort them. Of, in fact, the uh, the tutorial at the end shows you how to do exactly that. It shows you the format that's on the on the uh, SD card and how you do the, you know, recommended way to do the sorting and matching. Um, the batch, uh, interesting note, the batch that uh, I used for the tutorial when we ran this was a batch of like uh, I said about 30 crystals and uh, I wound up with one, two, three, four groups that are usable uh, fifth, and this was matching groups of six crystals. The, the best group I had a batch of six crystals where their frequency varied by eight hertz, the second group by 13, uh, third by 14, fourth by 20, and the bad group was they varied by 128 hertz. That, that was all of leftovers, if you would. Anyway, that's essentially what's in the tutorial
0: great work on that dave uh, not just the tutorial of course but the entire uh, the, the software in that version of the sna in the midnight version um i might mention too it came to mind uh just quickly that uh it's it's our intention with the test fixtures with the uh, test gadgets to be um to be coming, uh to get into the point of being able to display these uh these plots um in, um, uh, in the ASP 32 version, uh, of the platform. Now, uh, Duane has already been, he's already demonstrated uh, some plotting capabilities and hopefully it's going to be, um, um, an obvious path to expanding that very specifically to the area uh, to what you've shown here dave at the at the bottom of the whiteboard to have similar results but during the interim i think you had mentioned earlier too that to me that uh, you know right out of the shoot what we can do is provide that raw csv data um, or maybe the raw computational data uh, in textual form Um, And maybe even just the results in textual form, you know, what the spread, what the SD, what a a standard deviation type of thread uh, spread would be of, you know, grading 12 crystals, 50 crystals, whatever you were doing. Um, And that would be an interim step before seeing a a plot with a greater interpretation of, of the data. But nonetheless, seeing... Uh, in the diagram just above that, the single characteristic plot of a, of a crystal seeing that it provides immense immense value and lots of information uh, to us as designers, and that's ultimately what we like to see in the, the projects that we're working on here, um, experimenting on the bench on the bench with different parts, producing uh, uh, different kinds of filters, different. Uh, stages of a transceiver under test or whatever might be the the measurement receiver comes to mind as well as another project that uh, kind of parallels what we're talking about here but I really applaud all three of you guys a lot for the work that you've done Duane and in your work with the SNA and your constant uh, evolution of uh, in your blog and I'm if I didn't put it in here I'm going to put it uh, very shortly here just a link to your blog such that everybody can, can see it and benefit from it if they haven't got it already bookmarked. And Dave, of course, with all the, uh, all the software and the hardware design stuff that, uh, that you and I have been doing um, in the midnight uh, uh, kits along the way, and Joe, with, with your uh, um, the background, the theory, the understanding, the, uh, the application to, from theory to reality is, is really what makes a lot of this stuff come alive for us for us all here in the, uh, the home brewing, the experimenting community. So I applaud all three of you guys in, in the work that you've done. I'm hoping just to bring it together here such so that more and more people can take advantage of it and uh, um, take it in their own directions. So Joe, we're at the we're well at the, t- the, end, the, of the end of the show. Uh, was there somebody, somebody else who had a comment? Thing? Yeah, and
3: Dave, George, go, ahead, go ahead. George, I, I just wanted real quick before Joe Oh um, finishes the uh, the picture of, of the whiteboard down near the bottom where it, where it says measurement receiver, measure receiver on it. That's not just a crystal response, you know. that's way too wide. What that is, uh, the measurement receiver has a crystal filter in it, and that's a plot of the crystal filter. Uh, that's that's was in the measure, one of the measurement receivers that I built, and the. Uh, the crystals that were used for the uh, the matching down below and for the uh, uh, the tutorial were all crystals for the measurement receiver.
0: Okay, great. Thanks for that clarification, Dave. Uh, Joe, you want to take us home? It's uh, we covered a lot of really cool territory this time. I think very practical. And I, with each of you guys, I had a lot of fun putting this stuff together here for tonight's episode. But uh, if you can, in one breath, maybe summarize where we've been and uh, then close it down for us.
2: All right. Very good. Yeah. Well, it's going to take you a little more than one breath. Um, what we did tonight was talk about <clears throat> actually the continued evolution of um, of the um, the test gadgets we're doing, the test system. Based on, um, based on the uh, uh, <clears throat> Arduino Nano and extending it for a little more um, sophistication with the ESP32. Uh, some of the great work done by, uh, by the gang here and uh, the extension by uh, Dwayne extending to the ESP32. Several approaches to go depending on the complexity of what you wanna do as far as a uh, test system but a modular test system that you can tailor to, to your own uses with, um, with either a, a, a solder on plug-in, um playboard, playground on the board uh, containing the um, signal generator and the detector, or a um, more modular approach, uh, a little more universal, where you would have um, either um, coaxial sockets Uh, connectors or uh, some plug-in SIP sockets so that you can uh, add on um, a universe, actually, of um, test gadgets onto the uh, basic processor signal generator and um, signal detector board. We also discussed um, some applications of this sort of equipment, Um, first of all, with um, crystal grading looking at uh, measurements you can do on crystals with a, with a fairly simple test system to uh, characterize the crystals with uh, the end goal of uh, being able to uh, design and build a crystal filter used in a um, either a ham receiver or in a test receiver. Um, and Dave uh, had a, an excellent uh, tutorial on actually doing the crystal grading. And I wanna mention parenthetically, Um, It is very good. It is excellent. I found a couple tweaks that I had to do when I was going through um, some six or seven hundred crystals to come up with a hundred sets of matched matched crystals. A couple things I found. Um, The basic um, rule of thumb is that if you're designing, for example, or if you're building a 400 hertz wide filter, you want to match the crystals to within better than 10% of the end bandwidth. Um, being a little obsessive, I matched them within uh, 20, within 5% of the, uh, the bandwidth. And when you do that, um, the procedure works fine. But what I found was that there is a slight heating up of the crystals as you're measuring them. So what you want to do is you want to uh, put them in the, um, uh, in the test position, turn the signal on, and you want to uh, let it sit there for 15 or 20 seconds so that any uh, crystal heating will settle out and you'll get accurate repeatable results. At any rate, very good, um, very good um, work by, uh, by Dave, uh, by George, and by Dwayne in uh, some uh, examples of uh, things we can do to come up with uh, a test system and some sample applications that will be expanded as uh, as this uh, process goes along. 73 to all. Uh, thanks for showing up, and we'll see you next time. 73.